Father, as we come to your scriptures today, Lord, who is sufficient for such things, Lord? I just pray that you would illuminate our eyes by your Holy Spirit, that you give us the grace to understand what it is you would have each individual understand today, Lord. And I pray that you would apply your truths to our hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, so, good afternoon, family, friends, visitors. <sighs> okay, so Christmas time is around the corner, and it's my nephew's first Christmas. Yeah, oh, come on. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I, I wonder what he'll make of it, all the, um, the paper and the decorations and... Kaylin and I, we have a lot of fun. Well, mostly me. But we have a lot of fun running and jumping and swinging and playing and climbing. And um, sometimes I have a lot of fun just listening to him babble his baby talk. You know, he's very authoritative. He's very... And even though I can't understand what he's saying, I always know that he's either telling someone off, telling someone what to do, or he's telling someone what someone else has done to him. And as much as it's cute spending time with him and listening to him talk, I wouldn't ask his advice on how to conduct myself at work. Um, neither would I expect him to give me counsel on how to relate to someone that I don't get on well with at work. It's obvious to say, but no baby's advice is going to impact my life. And the great shame is that every year at, during the Christmas period, when Jesus' Jesus's incarnation is being considered, it's limited to his infancy. And Jesus is limited to his infancy. He's never allowed to grow up. Today we're looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Well, we do see a grown-up Jesus, a Jesus who can impact your life. Before we get to our text, we need to think about why the author Paul writes this letter. Now, we don't know many specifics, but we do know that Paul's outlining the problem of sin. The problem of sin is essentially this. Our nature is in opposition to God's nature. God is perfect and good in his moral nature as reflected in his Ten Commandments, and we're not. We love to choose things that are in opposition to what is perfect and good. We love things that are in opposition to what is perfect and good. And the Bible says that we're guilty of this, and the consequence is death. Listen to Romans 1, 28 to 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with, sorry. Sorry, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, Romans talks about the solution for this. And what Paul says is that rules and regulations, they don't deal with a problem. They don't deal with a problem because rules and regulations are external. And they're about constraining our behavior. They don't change the heart. They can, they can make us behave a certain way, but they can't change the nature of a person. Let me give you this analogy. If you like to drive, then more likely than not, you like to speed. <laughs> Generally speaking, when do you not like to speed? When there's a speed camera, yes, Harriet, honesty. <laughs> the speed camera changes your behavior, but it doesn't change our desire. We still desire to put the accelerator to the floor in fifth gear. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, about two weeks ago, I was driving Melissa's car, and she was in the passenger seat, and her friend was in the back, and I was speeding. Sorry, Brian. Uh, yeah, Brian's my driving instructor. Well, he was, anyway. <clears throat> I love you, Brian. Um, <laughs> so um, we were going so fast that um, Melissa's friend couldn't tell me to turn right until we got up on the turn. I'm not going to tell you which gear I was in, but I made the turn. I should have gone past, but I made the turn. Um, I was loving it at the time. Tires were screeching. Um, <laughs> needless to say, the ladies were less impressed. Now, I knew what the speed limit of the road was. I knew, thanks to Brian, what a responsible turn looked like. And the, that knowledge didn't change my actions. If there was a speed camera around, my, my behavior probably would have changed. But this knowledge didn't change my desire. In Romans, we're dealing with how do you change the essential nature of someone? It's not rules and regulations. Because of sin, because we don't meet God's perfect moral standards, we're under condemnation of death. Why does God hold up his perfect nature as the requirement? Isn't that just oppression? Well, if there are really no absolute universal standards of wrong and right, then morality would be a question of one person's preference over another. It would mean that all morality is imposed by other people, and that would be the real oppression. 
Before we get to our text, we're going to look at Romans 3.21 to see what Paul says about this. Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood by faith, um, to be received by faith. What Paul has said so far is that there's no distinction between the Jewish people, who are God's chosen people, and everyone else in the world. Everyone is under the same condemnation of death. We're all sinners. We're all sinners because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Those people who God has removed the sentence of death from have received it as a free gift. Why? Well, simply because of Jesus Christ at the end of verse 24. It says that God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood so that the death of Jesus made God favourable. That word propitiation is a, it's a big word, but it just means that God was made favourable towards us by the death of Jesus Christ. In our text, which is the greeting of the letter, we see that Paul is speaking specifically to Christians. And we have to consider the whole of the greeting and what Paul is getting at. So I'm just going to read the whole of the greeting so we can put our text today within context. <clears throat> Romans 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 1, Paul says that he's a servant of Christ. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And he's talking about being set apart, sorry, being set apart in his life to be used as God intends as a servant. But also, more specifically, he's been set apart to preach the gospel. If you drop down to verse 5, it says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus' name. For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul was an apostle or a messenger of God and what he did was to preach the gospel of God or the good news of God 
And the reason why he was preaching the good news? To bring about the obedience of faith. How does Paul bring about the obedience of faith? Well, by being obedient to his call as a servant and preaching the good news. I've just talked about how we struggle to do good from our heart or under God's rule, how to obey from the heart. But Paul shows here that obedience of faith comes from God's good news to those who are called to belong to him. Now, our verses, three and four, taken on their own are merely facts or observations about the incarnation or, if you like, the time when Jesus was present here on earth. But taken in their wider context of the greeting, it shows that the gospel of God, in verse 2, which was promised beforehand, was concerning his son. So the gospel of God, which is God's good news, which brings about this obedience, is about his son. Okay, I'm going to try and make this point clear. The good news is about a person. God's good news is about a person. The good news of God is about whom Jesus is as much as what he's done. I think the danger is that as the danger is that as evangelical Christians we become so over familiar with the gospel. The good news becomes nothing more than an equation and a redundant equation at that. We've sinned against God, we're deserving of death, Jesus comes, Jesus dies, and we're forgiven. We sin against God, Jesus comes to die for our sins, Jesus died. Do you know what? Today I had a, um, a vision that a phone would ring and it would be my phone. <laughs> I'd be shaped. Praise God. Um, yeah, so Jesus comes and he dies for this sin we've committed. God forgives us and all is well. This is the gospel. We make it redundant. It becomes just an equation. And what Paul's talking about in our text is lives that are set free to obey God and to do what God wants us to do. How many of you here today as God's people really want and need that? You know, the, the ability to obey, to really obey, need the power to do what God wants you to do. How many of you are struggling Struggling with sexual sin. How many of us are struggling? Struggling with anger or unforgiveness? Or gossiping? How many of us are struggling to tell people about the good news? And why are we struggling? Well, because our faith is lacking. We don't believe. 
And why is this? It's because we forget that the good news is about a person. We're quick to forget that what Jesus has done on the cross comes from who Jesus is. We're quick to forget that what Jesus has done on the cross comes from who Jesus is. You cannot remove one from the other. Who Jesus is, is what provides the sufficiency of the cross. It's what qualified him to go to the cross. Who Jesus is, was what determined that he would die for us. Family, we cheapen God's grace and we cheapen Christ's work when we make it just an action. You see, just as our wicked actions come from our hearts, Christ's action stems from his heart. The cross makes God known. That's how Christ makes God known. Who he is is reflected in what he did, and Paul recognizes that. He recognizes that the gospel is about a person. And when will we obey Christ? When we recognize too and when we see who he is. And this seeps out from Paul in his greeting. It's, you know, a letter and he's, he, it's, not a, it's not a theological treatise. He's not writing some theological project or a dissertation. He's writing a letter to people in Rome and it seeps out in his greeting. So let's look at verses 3 and 4 of the greeting, which is our text today. Concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, I want to make two brief points. Point one. David's son is good news. David's son is good news. Verse 3 says that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, Paul mentions um, King David, king of God's chosen people, Israel, a faithful king whom God loved and made a promise to. He promised that his royal line would reign forever. And while there's an allusion to Jesus as the fulfillment of this promise in the verse, the force of the verse is that he came according to the flesh. He was human. And that's the point point that Paul is making in the verse. So our question is, why is it important that Jesus was human? Well, because he had to die. He had planned from eternity past to die on our behalf, taking the penalty of death which is due to us. And in order for him to die, he had to take on human flesh. But in order for his death to mean anything, he had to live a life that made, sorry, that met God's perfect standards. Jesus spent every day of his life fighting temptation, resisting temptation, Conquering temptation. Every word he said came from the Father. Every action that he did was the Father's will. 
Let's turn to Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11. And does someone want to stand up and read? (laughs) Okay, from verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, Jesus Christ, but also to the interests of others, Jesus Christ. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, say it again. (laughs) Okay. So my first application is only this. Think like a Pharisee. Think like a Pharisee. Do you remember the Gospel of John when Jesus made one of his I am claims to divinity surrounded by the Pharisees? Um, And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And what happened? Yeah, they, they picked up stones to stone him. But why? Well, because on some level they understood that God is exalted above everything and everyone. And what they couldn't reconcile was that the idea that this average-looking, homeless carpenter who came from what was considered a town of low lives was God. In fact, be more like an ex-Pharisee. Be like Paul, who saw, that the glory of, who saw the glory of God and realized how shocking and costly it was that Jesus had emptied himself of all claim on his glory. And he did this to become a man. It would be a bit like seeing Prince Charles sleeping rough in Croydon outside the Whitgift Centre. imagine you walk past the Whitgift Centre and you see him sleeping there on a frosty December evening, you'd be pretty shocked and baffled to say the least. But later on, if it emerged that he'd raised tens of millions to help homeless people, what would that do to your estimation of him? What would it do to your thought of him? Think like a Pharisee. My second point is that God's son is good news. Let's look at verse 4. And was declared to be the son of God in power, 
according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the second time that Paul has referred to Jesus as the Son of God in these verses. And he's making reference to the unique relationship between God the Son and God the Father. Jesus is the pre-existent, eternal Son of God. Not only was he fully and truly human, but he was fully God. We see it in 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, um, verse 4. We see it in Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. We see it in Philippians. We see it here in Romans. We see it in John's gospel from start to finish. Well, what does it mean? Well, it means that we can take what he did on the cross, his death, to the bank. The end of the verse talks about the resurrection from the dead. Why didn't Jesus stay dead? Why didn't Jesus stay dead? In chapter 6 of Romans, Paul will go on to say that the wages of sin is death. The only reason that there is death in the world is because of sin. Jesus was perfect and sinless God. And he was declared by the Holy Spirit to be what he was. He was vindicated and shown to be righteous. He was exposed clearly as God, holy and blameless. The resurrection was evidence that he actually did resist temptation. I was reminded the other day by Tabitha, shameless name dropping, <laughs> that the same power that resurrected Jesus now lives in me. The amazing thing is that when Jesus was resurrected and declared righteous, so was I. And so were you, Christian. We were declared righteous. Because those who trust in who Jesus is, as well as in what he's done, truly believe in the sufficiency of Christ's work because of who he is, because he is God in human form, are joined to him. God sees his life as our life. God looks at us as if we were holy and righteous and blameless. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are now. People who recognize God's greatness and recognize his moral integrity and don't trust in ourselves to justify ourselves before him are recognized by God. Not only are we looked upon in the favorable light of Jesus, but as I was saying, we were given the power to start living like him. My second application is this. We need to see Jesus as God. We need to see Jesus as God. 
Jesus is God, but when he came to earth, he was God under the hardest of circumstances. There was no outward evidence of his status as God to draw people to himself. He was limited to a body that got tired and hungry. He felt fear and sorrow. He was persecuted. But through all of this, he responded as only God can. He even asked his father to forgive those who crucified him, those who mocked him, those who rejected him. How can we see Jesus as God? Well, we need to put ourselves in the right positions. So this week, starting the 2nd of December 2012, we need to be under our word. And I would ask you to take five minutes each day, five to ten minutes, nothing more, reading through a bite-sized amount of the scripture so that you can spend the rest of the day chewing it over in your mind and praying about it. Get into fellowship this week. Get into fellowship. We see Jesus in the lives of other believers. So this week, make community group and prayer meeting a priority and be uplifted by the beauty of Jesus and his people. And don't forget that it's not only one way. Someone needs to see the beauty of Jesus in you. Maybe today choose someone that you can phone at least once this week. Read the word and pray with them. You know that you're not going to use all your minutes this week, so. (laughs) Lastly, believers, set yourself the task of praying every day of this week for the person who will be preaching next week. Why? Well, because they're the person tasked with lifting up Jesus Christ from his word. (laughs) We've all complained that someone's preaching didn't move us or that we don't connect with that person. But I wonder how much time each of us spends praying that God would reveal himself through their preaching. And if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, let me just challenge you not to base your position on the actions of Christians, because we will be hypocritical, or what you've heard of the Bible, But find a Bible for yourself and read about who Jesus is. Commit to a Christianity Explore course. Commit to exploring Christ through attending a local church. And if you've heard anything today that has made you rethink your position even slightly, speak to someone. Speak to one of the pastors or the elders, pastors and elders, hands aloft. Okay, just F. Okay, don't be scared. (laughs) Or speak to anyone else. Speak to the person who brought you. I'd just like to say that our faith is only as good as the object of our faith. It's only as good as the object of faith. We need to see who Jesus is. I'd just like to finish in prayer.
Heavenly Father, I thank you that it's all of grace. Help us to obey, Lord God. But Lord, we're like Moses, Father. We're like Moses. We need to see your glory. Father, I pray, show us your glory this week. Father, show us your glory in your Holy Scripture. Show us your glory in your people, Lord God. Fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake, I pray. found us just as we are completely and totally in need of you our prayer is Lord that we would be found in a place of complete reliance upon you where we would be truly transformed by your grace from the inside out set free Lord to obey by works of your spirit and your word in our hearts Lord transforming us enabling us through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. 
We thank you, Lord. And we pray that, Lord, your grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit, Lord, would rest, remain, and be with us all now and forevermore. To the glory of Christ, we say amen. 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 The Lord bless you guys, and um, maybe you might want to just kind of just take a minute and just kind of just have some personal reflection on what has been shared before you kind of get into conversations and so on. Blessings.